This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor says there's been a lull in the violence that accompanied many of the protests against police brutality in the state. Here's hoping it continues. Seventy more names have been added to the list of fatalities from COVID-19 in Florida. That was on Tuesday, one of the worst days on record. There are now 2,613 fatalities, 57,447 confirmed cases of coronavirus. That last figure is an increase of more than 600 in one day. The Florida Education Association releases its plan for the safe reopening of public schools. Insert Teacher Task Force Headline. The teachers want COVID testing for everyone on campus and social distancing, even on school buses. And they want the state to suspend school grades and other accountability procedures during the upcoming school year. Today on Sunrise, a deep dive into two cases at the Florida Supreme Court, where the state attorney general is asking for another chance to execute former death row inmates who were spared by the courts in 2017. But her lawyers ran into plenty of skepticism when they made that case to the high court. I'm having a hard time seeing how we even have the jurisdiction to entertain what you're asking us to do in the first place. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with Florida Man, or in this case, a Florida woman by the name of Carol Baskin. If you have Netflix, you know who she is. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, June 3rd. The violence that accompanied some of the police brutality protests in Florida over the weekend appears to have vanished, at least for now. On Tuesday, the governor issued a statement saying demonstrations across the state of Florida have remained largely peaceful over the past 24 hours, with no significant injuries, deaths, or widespread property damage being reported to the Department of Law Enforcement. Ron DeSantis says he appreciates the hard work done by local officials, the National Guard, the Highway Patrol, and local law enforcement to help ensure the safety of residents, visitors, and the people engaging in peaceful First Amendment activity. DeSantis mobilized 700 National Guard soldiers to support law enforcement and worked with the Highway Patrol to coordinate more than 1,300 troopers to support local law enforcement efforts. The Speaker of the Florida House says he will not take action against a lawmaker who posted a picture of an assault rifle on Twitter and said people protesting in his district would be greeted with AR-15s. That provocative tweet from Representative Anthony Sabatini infuriated Democrats who appealed to the Speaker to do something. But Jose Oliva says Sabatini's social media output is of no concern to him and he believes the wording of the tweet does not constitute a direct or preemptive threat to any specific person, organized group, or entity. Oliva also claims the House rules do not and should not grant presumption officers the power to determine the wisdom of a member's speech. The governor has extended the eviction moratorium until July 1st, but he left people hanging in the process. That ban on evictions and foreclosures was set to expire at midnight Monday. The governor waited until the last minute to issue the extension. In a late Monday night tweet, the governor's press secretary said he issued the extension because he believes it's the right thing to do given the harmful economic impact of COVID-19. Now, if you're wondering why you're hearing me say this instead of the governor, it's because DeSantis has not done a formal press availability since Friday. It's the first time since the start of the COVID crisis he's gone this long with out in a veil, which could be a good sign. Or not. Let's see if he'll be doing anything later today publicly. The Teachers Union releases its plan for the safe reopening of public schools. Florida Education Association President Frederick Ingram says they want people to be safe and for kids to have fun when the new school year begins, most likely in August. I want everybody to harken back to uh, the first day of school, when you had the first day of school, uh, as a teacher or as a student, and it made you smile, and there was this this knot in your stomach because you wanted to go and be with your friend. Uh, The summer, long hot summer was over. Uh, That is what we want for our children. There are 2.8 million children who deserve that opportunity. 
They deserve to have the same opportunities and that same pit in their stomach that all of us had at the first day of school. Our seniors deserve it. The class of 2021, our students who transitioned from eighth grade to ninth grade or from fifth grade to sixth grade, our first graders who are just coming into our public schools, we, they deserve an opportunity of a lifetime and we give it to them every single year. That's what this is about. And so as we reopen our schools, let us be safe. Let us be healthy. Let us understand academic success, but let us not forget the single most important word, school must be fun. We have got to get this right so that our kids have an interest, so that our kids become workers, so that our kids become college students and our college students become the next drivers of our Florida economy. Safety is number one on their list. Ingram says that in order for parents and students to feel comfortable returning to school, there must be plans in place that have been developed in accordance with local, state, and national health professionals. And that includes testing everyone who walks onto a school campus for COVID-19. That's what the CDC is advocating and is recommending. Uh, and so we are going with science. Uh, and so if that is the case, uh, again, that's going to cost money. Uh, that's going to, you know, but there should be no dollar amount to keeping people safe and healthy. Uh, so, so, so yes, we're not only going to have to test uh, those adults, we're going to have to test students, we're going to have to test visitors, uh, we, we're going to have to test people who come with deliveries to schools. Uh, all of those things are going to be vitally important. And if we don't start those conversations right now, then what are we doing? What are we doing? And, and, and what is more important than keeping our students safe, than opening our doors uh, in, in a way that we can all, one, be proud, but two, be safe and be healthy? because everybody's life is, at, is on the line, is important as we deal with this pandemic. As always, money is a key issue. Miami Beach City Commissioner David Richardson used to serve in the legislature, and he says it's important that lawmakers return to Tallahassee to decide how to spend the federal money that is coming to Florida schools. We know that there are many health and infrastructure needs in public schools related to the crisis caused by the COVID-19, uh, and we recognize that none of these needs can be accomplished without adequate state and federal funding. We know that there is a significant allocation coming from the federal government, 770 million, and another allocation for the governor's discretionary fund. We feel very strongly that the legislature should come into special session to determine the best spending for these federal dollars, rather than leave these decisions under emergency powers. So we feel strongly that the legislature should be heard on how to best allocate these funds. One thing that this crisis has shown us is the, the need for high-speed access uh, and modern technology. And it's essential that all students, regardless of their socioeconomic level, be provided with the same level of access so that we can continue this distant learning and any other forms of uh, new instructional um, access that we're seeing because of the crisis. Uh, we feel very strongly that we need to maintain full funding on mental health and school safety as we move through the crisis. And we know that we must be flexible to make changes because what we don't know today, we may know tomorrow. Um, and we feel strongly that this investment is crucial to the overall economic recovery. Johanna Lopez is a member of the Orange County School Board and is executive director of a Latino group called Voices United. She says the state will have to focus on kids who were left behind when the schools were shut down back in March. All of our students deserve high expectations every day, but also accommodations if needed. To Governor DeSantis, Commissioner of Education, Mr. Corcoran, and to legislators in Florida, please 
Don't forget about our English language learners. Don't forget about our exceptional students' education. Which programs are you going to offer to our ESC students who couldn't get any education during distance learning? They need help, and I know that you have them in your mind. We also have to think about our working families that are struggling to survive during this pandemic who also need support to help their children to su succeed academically. We have thousands of Latinx and Haitian families in Florida that are not receiving any type of training to help their children in their native language. They deserve to be engaged with our schools in any platform that we will be offering. The Department of Education website needs to be more inclusive as well. Our families are feeling lost. Imagine our children. Thank you for listening. I hope to see changes for our community needs. One of the first things the Department of Education did when students were told to work from home was to cancel the end of year testing and school grades that are part of the state's accountability program. Escambia County teacher Carol Cleaver says the state should do the same thing during the upcoming school year. Determining a student's ability to perform on a standardized test or school improvement percentages should not be our concern. When we are endeavoring to make up for lost time from the end of our last school year, and remain adaptable to events beyond our control in the year to come. School testing and evaluations should not be conducted in the 2020-2021 school year. I urge you also to remember that while the school year calendars and curriculum platforms may be determined by administrators and legislators, it is the teachers and education staff professionals themselves that ultimately do the work of educating our children including classroom educators on planning committees, is a necessary step towards securing investment and dedication from the professionals that must put these plans into action and with whom we are trusting the care of our children. Please capitalize on our experience, input, and concern for Florida's children by bringing us to the planning table. The FEA plan is only a recommendation. It's up to the governor and education commissioner to come up with the real thing, and even then, the actual decisions will be made by your local school board. Next up on Sunrise, a deep dive on death at the Florida Supreme Court. Attorney General Ashley Moody is asking the high court to reinstate the death penalty in two cases that were decided three years ago. And if she gets her wish, it'll be a major change in Florida's death penalty. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local health care provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org COVID for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. The state attorney general is asking the Florida Supreme Court to reinstate the death penalty in two cases where inmates had their sentences overturned. Michael James Jackson and Bespin Okafer were both condemned to die for murder, but their sentences were overturned after a 2017 U.S. Supreme Court ruling that found Florida's death penalty sentencing scheme was unconstitutional. Then earlier this year, the Florida Supreme Court changed the way the state carries out that ruling, which led to the attorney general's effort to reinstate the death sentences. Jackson's attorney... Maria Deliberate told the court the Attorney General's appeal is a desperate Hail Mary pass that should be rejected. This court should unequivocally deny the state's extraordinary request to reverse a three-year-old binding final order 
an order from which the state affirmatively declined to seek any timely appellate relief. Reinstating Mr. Jackson's death sentence would be an exceptional result with far-reaching consequences and could only be achieved by ignoring the plain and unambiguous language of the Florida Rules of Criminal and Appellate Procedure. As this court has repeatedly held, all rich jurisdictions should be rarely exercised, and it is improper here where the state is using it as a substitute for their knowing and willful choice to abandon their appellate rights years ago. And seeking this, what's effectively a Hail Mary on their part, to renew and do a belated appeal. It's not what this court is supposed to do in order to make sure that our death penalty system is fair and just. And if this state of Florida is going to have any confidence in the death penalty, and if, the, if we have a state has decided that we want to have the death penalty, for it to be fairly applied, there has to be confidence in the process. There has to be finality. There can't be this granting the state this extra exception that capital defendants don't have. Elliot Shirker represents the other inmate, Okafor, and he says the state's efforts to reimpose the death penalty would mean capital punishment cases never, ever end. As this court said once, all things must end, even a court's power to correct inconsistencies. The reason for this forms the bedrock of Anglo-American jurisprudence. There must be an end of litigation, public policy, as well as the interest of individual litigants demanded. The position urged by the state we submit would overturn more than 120 years of precedent and eliminate any certainty that a mandate's issuance and the expiration of the recall period equals finality. No decision would be truly final. Resourceful lawyers under the regime proposed by the state would be able to take advantage of any change in the law to try what the state is trying to do in this case. There would be no finality, no certainty in any appellate decision, and there is no telling when litigation would cease. The exercise of such a power if it existed at all, would be the most uprooting and dangerous act ever exercised by any court. No such power, however, exists. Now, you expect that sort of talk from defense lawyers, but even some of the justices seem to share the opinion. Justice Carlos Muniz put it this way. It does seem like there's some merit to what the counsel on the other side is saying that, you know, basically, I mean, it seems like we frequently... Um, don't give defendants a pass when they don't appeal because of perceived futility. And it seems like the state here, I guess, because of the perceived futility at the time of appealing, chose not to. And now, you know, it does seem like you're trying to get a very, you know, belated second bite at the apple. I mean, how, how does that make sense? The sentence was vacated. You guys didn't appeal. There is no sentence now. And the defendant is entitled to the panoply of, of protections and process that he has under the statutes as they exist today. As usual, the court gave no indication when it will rule, but for now, let's just say things don't look all that good for the Attorney General. Your calendar of events starts at 8 in the morning when the Board of Pharmacy meets in a conference call. The Florida Supreme Court hears arguments in four cases beginning at 9, including a dispute about whether the Sarasota County property appraiser could pursue back taxes after discovering a clerical error had undervalued property the prior year. The Commission on Offender Review meets remotely at 9. The State Council on Homelessness holds a quarterly call at 9. The Florida Department of Transportation holds a webinar at 9.30 to talk about a project extending the Florida Turnpike from Wildwood to the Suncoast Parkway. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30 in Tallahassee. Members of the public cannot attend in person because of the coronavirus pandemic. 
The Florida Advisory Council on Climate and Clean Energy holds an online meeting at 10. And at 1 o'clock, the United Faculty of Florida and the Florida Education Association are holding a virtual news conference to present their plan for reopening of state colleges and universities. Finally, it's time once again for the new adventures of Florida Man, who is not always a dude. A Florida woman is about to become the owner of Joe Exotic's infamous private zoo in Oklahoma. A federal judge says the 16 acres containing the Greater Wynwood Exotic Animal Park must be surrendered to Carol Baskin, owner of Big Cat Rescue of Tampa. She was awarded $1 million in a trademark infringement lawsuit against Exotic back in 2013. He tried to avoid paying by transferring ownership to his mom, but the judge says that was fraudulent and intended to keep the property out of reach of creditors. Exotic is serving 22 years in prison now for paying a hitman $3,000 to kill Baskin and for shooting five tigers at his zoo. By the way, the hit was never carried out. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.